Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. It's time to turn out the lights, grab some popcorn, and watch some horrible horror movies. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast. Each episode, I delve into the world of terrible horror movies. Why do I do it? Well, I can't really explain it, but I love these horrible movies. So, if you've made a horror movie on your phone, or made your own special effects MacGyver style, please, send it my way. Now... What do you get when you take the master of horror himself, allow him to direct, write, cameo, and convince ACDC to supply the soundtrack to one of his own stories? Why you get the absolute masterpiece, Maximum Overdrive. Everybody and welcome to another episode of the Terrible Terror Podcast. I am here with the last film of Stephen King month here in 2017. Oh boy, and we are ending on a absolute delight. I mean, we started off pretty good doing Sleepwalkers, uh, which again, like I said before, it's one of my favorite cheesy Stephen King films. Then we went into the absolute turd piece uh, of Dreamcatcher. Uh, and then we actually had a relatively good movie in Creepshow. Uh, even though it got voted on by uh, the fans of the podcast and different people out there in podcast world, uh, it still was, you know, reviewed. But I don't really hate that movie so much. Um, and maybe hate is a, a word. Like, yeah, actually, no, I really hate Dreamcatcher. Oh, jeez, that thing's a piece of shit. Uh, but... Creepshow is a fun movie. It's a good movie. Uh, and I think it's well done for its time frame when it first came out. But let's talk about what we're going to be talking about today. Or maybe what I'm going to be talking about. I mean, you could be talking to me too. I just don't know. Maybe you're going to say some things during the podcast. You're going to yell at me. You're going to scream. Because maybe I am uh, messing with one of your favorite films. Or you absolutely hate this movie and you can't believe why the fuck would he do it. Well, the reason that I would do it is because uh, this possibly is my favorite Stephen King movie. Uh, And not for the right reasons. For absolutely all the wrong reasons. Um, It is a terrible fucking movie. Um, As illustrated in the 
trailer for this film, Stephen King, he comes out and he tells you, yo, nobody's ever made a scary movie uh, and made any of my stories right in, in movie. It's not really that scary. But I'm going to do it because I'm directing my very first one. And it's based off a story called Trucks. But he calls it Maximum Overdrive. And what does it have to do with anything? Well, nothing really, to be honest. Though, it does get said in the movie as like the reasoning why, you know, what's going on with everything out there. But honestly, it the, the f- name Trucks is a better movie because that's all it's really about. You know, it's just about a bunch of trucks for the most part. Uh, except for, you know, there's crazy things going on that get explained at the end of the movie like some stupid piece of shit deus ex machina that you're just like, okay, it was that? What? Who gives a shit? Like, it's just so deliciously bad and the acting is shitty. I mean, King himself was nominated for a Razzie in 1987 for this film, as well as main star Emilio Estevez, yes, that's right, that Estevez, uh, for a Best Actor Razzie, uh, which, of course, you know, those are both worst actors. Though, the three songs that are used in the soundtrack, then the one bass line slash guitar line that are constantly used by ACDC, constituting them doing the soundtrack were actually big hits uh hell's bells uh shook me all night long and who made who which kind of starts your film that's the song that you heard as the theme song kind of for the movie and then it kind of plays at the end and you only really hear hear hell's bells kind of in the middle of the movie and then uh shook me all night long it's the credit song that's it the rest of it is a really horrible, like, doom, 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 doom. It's the same fucking thing that he uses all the time. I just, how did he convince ACDC to be like, okay, yeah, you can use, I mean, Apple can't even fucking convince those guys to put their songs on fucking iTunes for the longest fucking time. Spotify and all those other channels, except for Pandora for some reason. I think that they actually stream them, but they didn't want to stream shit for the longest time, you know. But somehow, fucking Stephen King and whoever the film group was for this one, uh, it's Dino De Laurentiis' group, which is the one that puts this piece of shit out. Uh, And... What what type what did he have over ACDC to be like, yeah, you're gonna do this movie, and we've got Stephen King directing this movie. Do you know who the fuck he is, man? It's gonna make you a shit ton of money. All you need to do is contribute like three songs to the whole soundtrack. Plus, this is gonna be the first time you've ever done a soundtrack before. Get it? Like it's all yours. You can put whatever the fuck you want it. Well, we only want to put three songs on it. Oh oh, really? Three songs? That's all you want to do? Yeah, we just want to promote the last stuff that we've been doing. Uh, really? Like, three so- Yeah, because, you know, she shook me all night long. Do you really need to put just that? No, we'll put that one that many people don't really know very well. Which one? Uh, you know, who made who? Who made you? It kind of fits with the music. Oh, Okay, well, are you okay with this, Angus? It seems like Brian Johnson's totally on with the whole thing. Yeah, as long as we get to do Hell's Bells, too, because I like that song. Really? It doesn't really fit with the movie. I mean, at least the other two, we can throw like that one on in the credits, and we can throw this one on in the beginning. Because, you know, 
the whole thing with like machines revolting against everybody who made who who made you that kind of works and it kind of no you gotta include those bells yeah listen to them you gotta include those bells uh why do they all sound alike <laughs> i don't know so anyway so you got acdc and it has three pretty good songs from acdc if you like them if you don't like them well you're gonna hear one a couple of times you're gonna hear the other two just once and you're mainly gonna hear like a like i said a guitar line and a bass line that's gonna go through most of this stuff so here we are Stephen King, you know, he's had a good track record so far with his films. He's done all his little, you know, cameos in his films. And uh, this is the first time that he decided that, you know what? I am going to write, direct, and not star in this movie. I'm just going to cameo in it like I always do. But it'll be an experience for me. That's what I really want. Now, the funny thing is, and spoiler alert, soon after he did this film... Uh, he said that, uh, this was just an experience and I'm never going to fucking direct again. I mean, it's not, it's not terrible in parts, to be honest with you. And I have to take a long, long fucking pause for that one because it's pretty terrible in most parts of this movie. Um, it's like watching, uh, imagine if they gave Uwe Boll, uh, Actually, just watch any of Uwe Boll's movies, and it's like watching this film, right? Like, you can make fun of it. Like, you take House of the Dead, for example. House of the Dead is a really shitty movie. Uh, but it's funny and fun as hell to watch, honestly. It's dumb. It's really dumb. And you can yell and scream at the TV. And then the fact that a lot of the cutaways are fucking shots of the video game, and I, I don't want to get into it because that could be a whole other episode of the podcast. But... It's, you watch it for the train wreck, and that's exactly why you watch Maximum Overdrive, right? You just watch it to see what's going to happen next. What what does he constitute as scary? Even with the way the film opens, you're greeted to this lovely infographic that's basically telling you what's kind of going on. And it says on July 19th, 1987, at 9.47am Eastern Standard Time, I mean, he's being very fucking specific in this fucking title card thing, The Earth passed into the extraordinarily diffuse tail of Rhea M, a rogue comet. According to an astronomical calculation, the planet would remain in the tail of the comet for the next 8 days, 5 hours, 29 minutes, and 23 seconds. And then it gets into the film where you're looking on a bank, and it's the marquee goes, you know, it's showing the weather, and then eventually it says, fuck you. And then, of course, we get introduced to our cameo by Mr. King when he goes up to the ATM, and it has a lovely little message for him. Honey, come on over here, sugar buns. This machine just called me an asshole. And then we get the title theme of Who Made Who by ACDC that you heard when the episode started. And we're focusing on a bridge at this point. And there's two guys that are like playing cards inside the bridge. And everybody's, you know, going back and forth over it. And then all of a sudden it starts moving. And it starts raising up. What... You already get a sense of how shitty this film is going to be. Just by the scream. See, when the the bridge raises up, there's a guy on a motorcycle. And he can't hang on to his motorcycle anymore. Instead of, like, putting it down and walking away... He slips, he falls, uh, and then he falls through the cracks into the water, and he makes the one of the best sound effects that I think I've heard in a movie in the longest time. Like, what's up with that scream? Can you please, like, 
where did they fucking do it at? What type of budget did they have to get that type of screen? I want to make it sound as realistic as possible. So what I want you to do, guys, and, and this is going to be great, and it's going to grab people in. We're going to put a microphone inside the helmet or, or tape recorder, and then we're going to record him, and he's going to scream as he's coming down the way. Instead of just using, like, a Wilhelm scream or something like that, this this will be fantastic. It, it'll sound authentic, and authentic is scary. Get it? And then it sounds like that. Like, it's really horrible. And, and it, I love it. I absolutely love it. Uh, so, of course, there's everything's kind of being trashed on the bridge. Some of the cars are falling. Some of the cars aren't. People are getting out of the cars. There's watermelons crashing into crap. There's an ACDC Mark van. Uh, I think he's just a fan. I think it would have been funny if ACDC really was in the van and, like, he killed them at that point. Um, but I about doubt that they would really want to be killed in one of Stephen King's... Though, if you think about it, I think I'd be okay with that, right? Like, if Stephen King came to me and said, look... I'm going to be doing this film, uh, you know, this is my first directorial debut, can you guys do a cameo for me and, and die in it? I would have jumped at the fucking chance, to be honest with you, but of course, I'm not ACDC and maybe the cost to at least get their songs is probably not the cheapest thing in the world. So, as the bridge keeps raising, the two workers come out and they wonder what the fuck is going on. What is this shit? That's impossible! The live stream! The crossbars never went down! Huh? I shut up, you goddamn stupid asshole! Can't you see we've got a situation here? Again, I don't understand why Stephen King likes to make most of his, like, southerner people sound like redneck imbeciles, but he does. Like, everybody here. And I understand this takes place in North Carolina. Kind of outside of Wilmington is where we're kind of described. Uh, but... Again, I don't know why they all have to kind of talk like this and then, Oh my god, I can't believe we're gonna... Yeah, it's the way it's done. Maybe they all decided to watch his performance in Creepshow and he was like, Watch that. Because that is real. That is a masterpiece. And my acting in that movie, better than anybody in that... Leslie Nielsen, fuck that guy. Watch me act like a slack-jawed yokel. And I'm telling you, you act like that in this Oscar fucking time. Oscar. But, Emilio, the way that you're going to act, oh, we'll get into that in a second when you get into this film. So from there we cut and we go to the titular uh, vehicle uh, that this movie is known for, which is the Green Goblin Mack truck. And it's a toy truck. Doesn't necessarily say Green Goblin anywhere, but you can tell what the the face is, you know, based upon the Marvel movie. Maybe it was used for something somewhere, and uh, they decided that this was the best way to maximize their return on this truck by using it in this film as well. I don't know, but nonetheless, that's supposed to be scary. Just just remember, a lot of these things in this film are supposed to be really scary. So, it pulls up to the Dixie Boy station, and this is where the movie primarily takes place. And the driver of the truck gets out, walks inside, and we get to meet more people of the Dixie Brothers. Hey, man. Andy! Well, this damn thing. What's the matter, huh? Well, this thing was working just fine a few minutes ago, and now I can't get Pete Turkey on it. You want to bring me a light coffee when you get done jerking on that thing, darling? 
again, we get more of that lovely Stephen King type of dialogue that we've come to love and enjoy from his books, but now we get to actually see it fleshed out within a movie because he's the one writing the script and going off of the script. Uh, you know, there's a couple of things that you're going to listen to in this podcast, and a lot of the times I try to pick what I think is most pertinent, and every once in a while there's a couple of things that, you know, it's just because it's funny. But this movie's filled with stuff that's both funny and not important to anything else that's going on. Scenes like that. So you're going to hear a couple of little things like that, but most of them should be relatively short. Well, moving on with the movie, uh, this is when we get to meet Emilio Estevez and his character of Bill. Or Billy, or whatever the fuck you want to call him. Um, he is the line cook at this place, and he gets called back to the back room to meet with his boss, Henderson. Now, right off the bat, I'm going to tell you that Henderson calls everybody Bubba. Originally, I thought it was just him calling Emilio Estevez's character Bubba, but turns out he just calls everybody Bubba, and even calls himself at one point Bubba Henderson. Okay, so he only knows how to talk one way, and that's to talk like a southern slime ball. Meanwhile, outside, the one of the station attendants, he's filling up the Green Goblin truck with diesel. And uh, all of a sudden, the hose stops working. And this is when we're going to get one of our scary scenes, right? Well, it's not really scary. It's completely fucking funny. Because he starts looking inside the gas pump, and he starts poking his finger down the fucking, like, uh the tube where all the gas comes out i don't know how to really explain it but the metal part you know what i'm talking about right i am a slack-jawed yokel and i don't know what that piece is called so and i don't give a fuck so he uh decides that he's the best thing he can do is look into the fucking hose where he all of a sudden the, the, the pump starts turning back on and it sprays him in the eyes with gasoline oh no so scary, like, and even the scary music kind of plays, and you go, whoa, okay, I guess maybe it's kind of scary, but it's more like something that happened, right? Uh, back, one of the other workers goes and calls Mr. Henderson and tells him what's going on. Steve Gaten, Mr. Hendershot, Duncan Keller's had an accident. Oh, shit, Ski, what happened to him? He got diesel in his eyes, I'll be damned if I know how. Is that all? Flush his eyes, leave me alone, got me some talking to do in here. I gotta wipe everybody's ass around here. Shitty job, but I reckon somebody's gotta do it. Ain't that right, Bubba? <laughs> okay, so he got diesel in his eyes, and you know what? Just f- fucking flush it out with water. Honestly, yeah, that's probably the best thing that they need to do, considering that they just brought him in there and laid him down, and then was dabbing his eyes with a wet fucking cloth. That's not the right way to handle it. As much of a dick like he sounds, uh, he actually kind of has the right idea, right? Just flush his eyes. There's nothing much you can do, and maybe he can go uh, and go to the doctor. Maybe that's what he should have said to make him feel a little more sympathetic. So he's talking with Emilio here, and what he wants to do with him is he wants him to clock in for only eight hours, but he wants him to work an extra hour uh, because, hell... He knows what he is. He knows that he's a felon, or at least he's on parole, or something around those lines, and he can use that against him. You know what that star means, don't you? You ain't that obtuse, are you? On parole, boy. Either your ass belongs to me or it belongs to the state of North Carolina. You got one hell of a racket going here, don't you? Here. Put that back in the rack for me on your way by, would you? 
Now, the actor here that plays Henderson, that's Pat Hingle. Uh, you might not remember many things. He wasn't really, at least to me, he wasn't really well known. I mean, probably the biggest things that he's done was Batman, Hang Him High. He was in Batman Returns, Batman Forever, Batman and Robin, you know, as Commissioner Gordon. Uh, which is a little bit weird, and uh, I never really put the two and two together while I was watching the film, Uh, but it's nice to know that that's where I can (laughs) recognize him from uh, the more and more that I think of it. And really, he's probably the best thing about this movie as a whole in terms of the actors. I'm not saying the best thing in terms of characters or scenes or whatever goes on, but... The way that he does his role, I mean, he chews the scene whenever he's in there, and when he's a part of the scene, he kind of steals the thunder from the other actors that are around there. Uh, really, I would have almost given him the uh, the lead of the film, not necessarily Emilio Estevez, but of course at the time, Emilio, he's brand new, uh, I mean, kind of new to the scene, but, you know, he's kind of the bigger name actor that you're going to get for this movie. I mean... Of course, it's no Mighty Ducks, but Emilio does a pretty good job as well. So, they go back inside uh, to the restaurant, and then we're going to get another one of our scary scenes that's going to kind of go on. See, we got Wanda here, and she's working at the uh, stove for, you know, Billy, because he's been in the back there talking to good old Henderson. Then we get a close-up on a carving knife, and... (laughs) I have to laugh at, like, every one of these things, and I'm sorry, and there's probably going to be all these weird little laughs that pop up, but it's just so ridiculous, because the carver itself, it, like, comes to life, right? And then as she reaches over, this one, it's not terrible, okay? I will tell you that right now. This part is not terrible. It's the part that happens afterwards. See, as she reaches over, it turns on and starts cutting her hand. Okay, I get it. I, that... And that can be kind of scary, too. The way that it's done, it's a little hokey, a little cheesy, but maybe that's my, you know, 2010 brain working right now versus my 1980s brain. You know, when I saw this as a kid, uh, probably scared me more than I thought, but I remember always having fun with this film. Uh, but it's the second part that happens. So she gets cut, and it does, a, they have a pretty good effect on the arm uh, of it being cut open, and then it drops to the floor. But here's the funny part, is that we go into, like, knife cam. Like, the camera goes on top of the knife, and then the knife vibrates and gyrates, and then it starts scooting across the floor to attack her in the feet. And it looks so fucking terrible, but it's so fucking great uh, that it's that bad. Uh, And she's saved there by Billy when he comes in, because nobody else is busy helping her when she gets cut. Uh, and she explains to him in her frantic state what exactly happened with the knife. Quick, quick, a rag! Somebody give me a rag! Hey, that knife go rabbit on you, sweet thing. Well, it turned itself on and it bit me. Short circuit, maybe. Oh, there it goes again! Now, while all this was going on, the game room of the place, it had been spitting out cigarettes and quarters, which is really weird, because I'm not used to seeing a cigarette machine in most places. There used to be a Hofbrau that was in this town that had one. I know this is a story, this is a little bit divergent, but that was like the last one I saw, and that one actually remained there for a time, so it's weird seeing those things actually used as props in a movie, and of course... In here, it's a black guy that's in the middle of the thing, and he starts robbing everything, okay? He takes all the quarters that have shot out, he shoves all the cigarettes down his pants, his shirt, 
Uh, you know, because like they say, black people, they love them cigarettes, right? Like, I, eh, you could have just put anybody else, but you had to put some guy in there that looked like a jive turkey. Okay. Uh, anyway, so he goes and he gets tranced by one of the video games that's there. And he, when he goes to touch it, it shocks the living shit out of him. And he gets fried and thrown into corner. After we've seen his death, then we go over to the baseball field. Because, of course, who doesn't love baseball? And we see a bunch of kids, and they're all playing the game. And then this kid hits the ball, and we get a slow-mo dive uh, into home, and they win the game. And I'm going to play you something, but then I'm going to describe what happens afterwards. Because the way that he reacts, the, the coach reacts to that, is definitely not the way that he looks on screen. Come on, sodas. I'm buying. Now... He looks like he's fucking disappointed that they won. Like, the agreement was, kids, if you win, I'm going to go buy the whole team sodas. And in the back of his mind, he's thinking, I don't have the fucking money for this. Why the fuck? Why would I guarantee them sodas if they won? Maybe I should give them something else. Maybe I should have been like, um, um, free blowjobs for every... Oh, no, 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 they're kids. I can't quite do that. Hookers. I can get one hooker for the price of all these fucking sodas. And those kids will love having the hook. No, no, that'd be illegal. Fuck, I'm stuck. Okay, well, let's just try to sabotage. And maybe try to sabotage the ball game. See, I have a whole backstory for this guy. And why he looks pissed the fuck off when he walks up to them after they've won. But he says cheerily. Of course, it's ADR because you can't see anything like on his mouth moving or anything like that. But he says, yeah, sodas for everybody. And then why are the kids so excited about getting sodas? Wouldn't you just go get them a pizza? I mean, you can get an extra large pizza and that'd probably feed the whole team. Might be cheaper than the fucking sodas. So, of course, he begrudgingly goes over to the soda machine to congratulate everybody. You know, he's going to buy the sodas. And he puts in money and he starts hitting the machine. And then what happens... The soda machine pelts him with the soda right in his fucking dome. Well, first in his stomach to make him kneel over so he gets low enough, and then right in the fucking dome. Uh, With that, the kids wonder, are you okay? And then the soda machine starts just pelting them with sodas. And it's, again, it's a hilarious fucking scene. Because you can see one of the kids, he gets hit in, like, the ass, and he grabs his back, and he's like, and then he falls over, and it's fucking hilarious. (laughs) oh i'm probably going to hell for that one but it's so goddamn funny like it's ridiculous and this isn't even the funniest part right here uh because one of the kids who happens to be the son of the guy that got the gas in his face which is important for later in the film uh and why his father's not able to go to the goddamn oh that's right he works for a corrupt asshole at a fucking uh mechanic slash truck stop uh well he goes over to the the coach to see if he's okay and he's able to block the soda cans coming up with a catcher's mask. So the soda machine has really bad aim because if all he's aiming for is the head, he probably could have taken him out with like a nut shot or a stomach shot or something. But he goes up to the coach and he's like, Coach, are you okay? And there's a giant fucking hole in his head. Like, yeah, okay. I uh, Yeah, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm just, you know, lying here on the ground, dead, hole in my head. But I'm fine. Um... Yeah, I mean, you can't notice this giant soda uh, can-sized uh, indent in my fucking head. I, 
fucking kids. This is why I didn't want to buy them sodas after the game. I knew something was going to happen, and now I'm fucking dead. And how am I fucking talking to you? Oh, must be a fucking ghost. Okay, bye. Don't don't let something try to run you over in a little bit. <laughs> so he runs away after he realizes that Durr, the coach, is fucking dead. And this is where we get the funniest fucking scene in this movie. One of the funniest scenes. Now, not the best uh, delivered scene. That is much later in the movie, uh, which is an absolute treat. But here, we see a kid, and he flips his bike. And when he flips his bike, uh, it <laughs> he falls to the ground, of course. Uh, and then a giant steamroller bursts right through the, the scoreboard. And it starts going after him, and then it rolls the fucking kid over. Hence, Stephen King is not afraid to show kids being crushed by steamrollers on camera. It is the best fucking thing, and that's why I posted the clip uh, on the Facebook page, as well as on the Instagram page as well, because it's, it's absolutely one of the best things about this movie. As shitty as things have gone so far, that is fucking fantastic. I don't care. It's a decent effect. You know, you can obviously see that he goes below, because it looks like he's really running somebody over and not a fucking doll. So the guy must have, like, sunk into the ground, or, you know, maybe there's some other type of camera tricks that I don't know. I mean, Stephen King can't be the biggest, you know... Uh, well-known director in the world considering this is his first film but at the same time you know it's probably that again this needs to look as real as possible there you go that looks ridiculous and kind of real so um and then the steamroller starts chasing the kid and we go back over to the restaurant well i should say before we go back to the restaurant let's introduce you to the love interest of the movie and creepy bible guy might as well give up on that there, circuit pie. I ain't been able to get diddly squat out of it the past half hour or so. Must have a broke antenna or something. Our first-hand information. So, how far are you going up the road there, circuit pie? Depends on how long you can keep your hands to yourself. What's that sweet thing? I didn't quite catch it. I said I don't really know. It's drifting, huh? <laughs> yeah, I know what it's like. This is one I've been drifting myself now for about ten years. Heck, when I started this business, everybody years ago. But after we got out of the army, I got something. So we hear over the radio kind of what a little bit of the panic is, but we don't really get a good idea of what's going on until about halfway through the film. So I decided to skip kind of that radio part for the radio part that happens a little later because it explains it a little better and this is also brett um and she's played by laura hingleton who happens to be one of the worst actors in this movie next to of course wanda but wanda gives me one of my favorite fucking scenes in this movie as well so after they hear this radio broadcast brett decides that she wants to go and go into the diner that's over here because of what's kind of going on and what she understands Creepo guy, Bible salesman guy, he decides that he doesn't want to, but she takes the wheel and she pulls it over to the side. Of course, once they get out of the car, this upsets him, and she says a classic Simpsons line. Marty! Marty, girl! You gone crazy or something? Did you hear anything that man said? Are you... 
Are you on something? Oh, Jesus! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Don't you, don't you go walking away from me like that! You come back here, girl! You come back here! You listen to me! Eat my shorts! I swear. Sometimes I think this whole world forgot what good manners is. Here I go and give you a ride by a brand new car, and look at the garbage coming out of your mouth. Now, of course, The Simpsons didn't really start until 1989, so I can't really call it a classic Simpsons line, but that's how, honestly, where we all know it from, not necessarily from uh, the cult classic Maximum Overdrive. So, as they're arguing, uh, the... Green Goblin truck starts to get like upset, starts revving its engine, and eventually it comes after them. Maybe it has some type of moral obligation or something, I don't know, but it tries to run over the creepy guy, and she pulls him away at the last second. They all have a surprise reaction to the fact that the Green Goblin truck actually chased after them, because they believe that somebody might be inside the cab, but who knows if there actually is anybody running the car. From here, we jump over to the newlyweds, the lovebirds, as they're driving down the highway. Now, in this clip, I'm going to let you guess who the voice of one of these actors is. We got to get some gas. That's good, because I got to go to the ladies. Can I come in and watch? No, you cannot come in and watch. Wait a second. You mean to tell me that that... Is Yeardley Smith? Do you recognize that name? You better, because that's one of the characters. Well, I should say one of the most annoying characters on one of the best sitcom animated series ever made, and that is a motherfucking fact. That's right. That's Yeardley Smith, aka Lisa Simpson of The Simpsons. Yes, she is in this film, and she is fucking annoying. Just listen to the next interaction that happens in between her lover Curtis and her after they've gone to another gas station where they found a bunch of people dead. And, of course, she reacts like she does almost all the fucking time she does in this movie. Seriously, all she fucking does in this movie is scream and fucking talk down to Curtis in a very bad southern accent. It just happens all the time. And you wonder why Yearly Smith only really plays Lisa Simpson on The Simpsons, right? Uh, We'll get more into that maybe in a later episode or maybe sometime later during this episode. But for the most part... uh, that she's just fucking annoying and really shouldn't be a part of the movie. Like, I don't understand why she needs to act like this or, or what the direction was when, you know, Stephen King gave to her, like, look, um, you're going to be like a Southern Belle. You don't really look like a Southern Belle, but you're going to be a Southern Belle. And uh, that means I need you to shriek as loud as you can whenever you can. And I need you to talk in the most annoying matter that you could possibly talk in for the entire fucking movie. Can you do it? And she's like, yeah, I can do that. And uh, that's my worst fucking Lisa Simpson impression ever. Uh, <laughs> but it's probably better than most of my other impressions, am I right? Have you heard of my Brian Johnson? You already did. And it's great. 
<laughs> so, but the, before all that kind of happened, I mean, they did come upon a place, and there was they saw that people were murdered, and then he almost got ran over and chased down by a truck. Uh, and <clears throat> she's, of course, this is her wedding day, but which is weird. We'll get a little more. It's not weird that she's married or the fact that it's a wedding day. It just seems like this day lasts an extremely long fucking time, especially with the dialogue that uh, is coming up a little later in the film. From here, we cut back over to uh, the Dixie Bros, and I realize right now that I've been saying something wrong. Uh, it's not Henderson, it's Hendershot. And I'm probably going to say Henderson again later on in the podcast, so please excuse me. But Mr. Hendershot is talking with Joey, uh, which I can't tell if he's just a worker or if it's like his son, but they're discussing on what happened to the guy inside the game room. Boy, ain't this a tall shit. You do what I said with his body? Got him downstairs, sure. <laughs> Pretty crispy, Mr. Hendershot. What happened? Fucked if I know, Bubba. Fucked if I know. Back outside, Bill is checking the cabin of the Green Goblin truck, and he's trying to figure out if there's anything, what what it might have happened when they tried to run over a creepy preacher guy. Uh, he finds out that there's absolutely nothing inside of the cabin, and when he goes back uh, to the back of the truck to try to inspect some other things, the car actually starts turning on. Then Brett comes over, and it's weird because you get a kind of a an interesting scene. Like originally, it looks like you know the car maybe was going to turn on and try to kill him too. But then once Brett comes over and starts talking to Bill, it's like the truck just starts creeping on them. No, vroom vroom. <laughs> so, anybody in there? Nope, not now. You're cute. <laughs> yeah. Am I? Not that cute. Well, maybe I'll grow on you. Look at that. There's nothing. You ever see that much nothing at 10:15 in the morning, hero? And there's that fucking music that I've been talking about. That fucking little guitar track just shows up constantly, all the time during this fucking movie. And it gets really annoying really fucking fast. So after she explains that they don't see anybody on the highway, there are no trucks moving around, which is kind of weird. They go back inside and we cut back over to the kid from the baseball team as he's riding down one of his neighborhoods. Now, I thought he was being chased by the steamroller. And I guess he was faster on the bike than it was because he seems to have lost him. Meanwhile, we cut over and we see like kind of a montage of death uh, over the entire little suburb or, or what you might call a uh, subdivision. And we see how people have died from different things. And this is where we get kind of a bigger explanation of what's been going on via a radio broadcast. Moscow, Peking, the reports, or reports we have are all the same. Machines apparently operating by themselves or under the direction of some agency we don't understand are going on a homicidal rampage. Whatever is happening. 
and so we get more montages of people how they died. We get somebody that's been strangled by a like, Walkman. We see a bloody lawnmower, and then we start hearing the rings of an ice cream truck. Yes, a killer ice cream truck. And what does it say on the side? Well, it says M Y T T A S T. What does that stand for? Mighty tasty. Get it? And so the kid, he sees it, and he's like, okay, I gotta hide from the ice cream machine. And so he hides, uh, ice cream truck, I should say, and he hides, and he manages to get away, but he goes to a backyard, and there's a bloody fucking lawnmower sitting back there. And he doesn't even notice it. Like, it's plainly out there, and it's completely and utterly covered in blood, but he's more worried about the ice cream machine. Shit, I'd be more worried about that lawnmower, especially if it starts up, and then it maybe learned how to jump, because, or it's like one of those radical type of uh, lawnmowers, you know, that do stunts. They go down, like, you know, slides and do tricks and shit like that. So it's going to hit a ramp. It's going to get really gnarly, turn on its side, and fucking cut you to death. It's going to, like, you know, splatter your brains all over the pavement. Or it's going to do the whole dead alive thing you know it's going to manage to wrap itself around something and then cut the crap out of that person so bloody lawnmowers a lot more sinister and scary than the ice cream cream truck and really he does start to leave and that's when the lawnmowers start chasing again this isn't scary i i really don't know what what you were thinking uh here mr king but it's it's like it would have been scarier to have the lawnmower suddenly come to life or have been alive, right? And it's just in that low type of hum. So that way the kid didn't notice. And then the kid starts walking by and then it turns on and it starts chasing him relatively fast. And this is a push lawnmower. I mean, it's an elect- or gas-based push lawnmower. But still, to get most of its momentum, uh, it's going to need to have somebody controlling it, right? Or it's going to go... It's not going to be able to turn on its own. Uh, well, I mean, I guess if they're all sentient machines, maybe I'm in the wrong here. But still, it would have been scarier for him to go buy it and then instead of, okay, I'm going to leave, and then it starts chasing him. Uh, it's just so goddamn ridiculous. So, no, we go back over to the truck stop, and we get a scene, a little bit of the creepy Bible guy, and he's trying to sell Bibles to two of the people inside of the restaurant. Uh, on the outside, we see that the guy that had the gasoline thrown to his eyes, he's now up and walking around, and he's trying to leave, and they're all trying to stop him. Look, just, just hang out a little longer, all right? You gotta find my boy. Christ knows what's going on out there. Look, man, you can't even see. I can see just fine. I don't want to pop you one, Joe, but you keep yabbing at me. I'm going. Duck in. Duck. What's he doing? You really going after Dick, man? Yeah. Look at how many fingers you see, huh? Eight, twelve. All right, so I got a little double vision, but it's clearing up, Bill. I gotta find my boy. I gotta. And anything will be going on out there. Christ's sakes. You leave without punching out, and you ain't never gonna have to punch out again, Bubba. Good. You leave me alone, fat fuck. Yo, leave him alone. So, of course, they allow him to try to go out to his car so that he can leave. And while he's walking over to the car, you know, he can't see very well because his eyes have been, you know, plastered with gasoline. And as he's walking, he drops his keys. 
Now do you understand what's probably going to happen next? Well, if you think that one of the trucks was going to smash into him, you'd be completely correct. And it's not the truck that you think it was going to be. Like, I thought it was going to be the Green Goblin one, but no, it happens to be something else that runs into him. Now, when he drops his keys, there's more than enough time for somebody to go and push him out of the way. Like, they don't hear the fact that a big truck is fucking coming at him. It makes no sense. Like, he just does that, and he doesn't even try to jump out of the way. All he does is get plowed by the fucking truck. Then another truck comes by, and it runs around, you know, kind of stopping him, and it runs into the brand new car of the creepy Bible guy. And you're wondering, well, why would it necessarily do that? But it's basically to stop them from having a way to get away from everything, right? That he was going towards his car, they killed him, they got rid of the keys, supposedly. And then this garbage truck goes out uh, of its way to knock into the car and also dump trash on top of it, which, of course, pisses Bible guy off. Sickness. It'll give you five as Leviticus. The judge. Creepo Bible guy runs outside and he tries to go after whoever he thinks is inside the truck. Bill tries to stop him, but not really that hard. More or less like, okay, well, if you're going to do it, you're going to get your own comeuppance, which he eventually does. He, he runs away from the Green Goblin truck, backing up and actually knocking him out of his shoes, which is relatively funny. He knocks him into a dish and he rolls him down. <clears throat> not as funny as some of the other ones. Now, the, the scene of the other guy getting hit by the truck actually looks pretty good. If there are a couple things I have to say about this film that are pretty good, it's some of these effects. They do look pretty realistic, and, uh, you know, it, it it's fake to a point, but it looks good for 1987. That, that's the best thing that I can say. We also see that the, when the Green Goblin truck pulls away from killing uh, the Bible Thumper guy... Uh, he drives over into a corner and we see that he's kind of like communicating with one of the other trucks. So you kind of get a feeling that he's like the big deal guy here. Bill's running back towards the diner and, you know, he does notice that the, the big truck, of course, runs over the book of Bibles, kind of like cementing the deal like, yeah, I'm the true one God or some shit like that. Uh, but... <laughs> When he gets back in, he sees that Bubba, he's trying to reach somebody on the intercom. This is Bubba Hendershot at the Dixie Boy. Anybody read me out there? Come in. Come on in, Rusty. No one. No one in the cabin, that motherfucker at all. Horse Pucky. So what are we going to do now, huh? I don't know. This is Bubba Hendershot at the Dixie Boy. God damn it, Rusty, come on in, boy. So then we get a weird series of shots, and this is like it really hasn't been edited really well. Uh, the first one basically is with Brett and Bill, and they're in the bathroom. Brett's changing because she wants to get the smell off of dead old Bible Thumper guy. And then it cuts to a really quick scene of Bubba, and then it cuts back to them, Brett and uh, Bill. And Brett just says, okay, and then it cuts away again. Like, it's really weird, and it's a really, really hard cut, too, between them. Like, there's something missing here. Like, he had something, and it didn't quite plan out, or he wanted to make the film shorter, or something. And with the film only being, like, an hour and a half, I don't know what he wanted to cut out at this point. It's just kind of weird, and it's just 
really jumpy and doesn't make a whole lot of sense why he would go in between that something kind of personal to just Hendershot and and his little thing and then back over to her and just okay and then they leave and then all of a sudden it's another scene like you could have just cut that whole sequence out or just cut the jump to Hendershot and then the jump back to being okay or just cut out the shot from Hendershot and just being like okay now you're done okay I mean that's what it kind of is is like okay now she's ready to go because she's gotten that shit off of him but it's really weird to have it kind of placed in there like that from here we cut back to the lovebirds and they're driving back and that's Curtis and Lisa Simpson I mean Yearly Smith or whatever the fuck her name is in this movie I don't even remember I just remembered her as Lisa Simpson the entire fucking time so Lisa and Curtis here they're driving along the highway and they see a ton of Mack trucks and they're just driving down the road and they wonder what the hell is going on where are they going Curtis I don't know Greensboro maybe maybe Charlotte Don't know. Try the radio again. And that's when another big truck comes on the road and tries to run these guys off completely. Now... At this point in the film, you may be asking yourself, are all the sentient machines pretty much trucks and then some other smaller things? Like, cars are not affected in this film at all. And it really makes no sense because if something like a carving knife can be possessed by whatever the fuck is going on and attack somebody why wouldn't they start taking over cars and just start killing the people that are driving the cars is there something bigger about the trucks that they want or maybe because they're like you know if you're going to look at this like a mechanical animal kingdom they're the masters of the kingdom because there are other vehicles that they do take over right they took over the ice cream truck but it's still a truck and they take over a military truck a little bit uh, on in the film uh, but I don't even know if I'd call that a truck necessarily. It's it more just, you know, uh, it could be classified as a car. It's a lot smaller. Uh, maybe they just go for like SUV class and higher. So instead, what we have here is just uh, all of the trucks in the world. They're the ones that possessed, but absolutely no cars are. So there's a really ridiculous chase scene that goes on here with this big truck chasing down them in the car as they're driving by. There's a ridiculously funny uh, reaction scene where he's like, I'm going to turn really fast. Just hang on for a second. And he turns the wheel, but he just like, he just jerks it, just jerks it slightly to the right, but really hard. Uh, and then the car still ends up being chased by the damn truck. The last straw is they're able to get the truck to, uh, I want to say jump off of like a cliff, but really just get off the side of the freeway. It's not even like, like having the truck, like go over a railing or something like that. And the truck is already on fire before it even goes down the hill it's so freaking ridiculous like they already set the explosives to go and instead of you know doing a reaction shot first we're going to do this to the truck and then we'll cut in with the next shot of the truck actually getting ready to explode as it comes down 
no, it's all one shot. That's all he wanted to do it in. And it looks so ridiculous and stupid because there's no reason why the truck should even be on fire at that fucking point. They didn't, like, throw a Molotov cocktail at it or cause the engine to burn up too much. You know, and, and I guess you could say that that might be the reasoning why, because maybe... He was pushing himself just a little too hard. The the truck, I mean, yes. It is sentient, and I'm assuming that it's a he, so fuck you. Uh, and, and then he overclocked the engine because it doesn't have enough oil, and then it set on fire. You know, at least I'm trying to explain what might have actually happened, where there is nothing to fucking explain in this whole fucking scene of what exactly is going on. So now that the two lovebirds have escaped successfully, they see a sign for the, the truck stop, and Curtis decides that, hey, this is going to be the way that we're going to find help and we'll figure out what's going on, so let's go there. Because at least then if we go there, we could call the police and maybe get some help. And when they pull up, they see that now all the trucks have begun circling the whole truck stop and there might not be a way into what's going on. And of course, Lisa's a bitch to him. Oh my god. When we get to that truck stop, everything will be all right. Oh, yes. (laughs) What are you doing? You see that gap? The next time it comes around, I'm going to shoot right through it. No, you don't! They'll gang up on us and squash us! I can do it! Oh, so we can be inside where they are? What do you think is going to happen to us if we stay out here? I'm scared. Me too. Okay, you've never done something like this before. What he's trying to do is there is a little bit of an opening and he's figuring he can just fucking floor it and he'll be able to get in before the trucks and, you know, not get smashed up. Yearly here, Lisa, she's got the right idea of what's going on. Don't fucking try it. They should just go down the road or figure out how to do something else. Just leave everybody be. But of course, Curtis, he's got to fucking do it and show what a man he is by making it over to the fucking diner. Which, of course, when they try to do it, they completely fail and flip the car upside down. And that causes uh, Lisa to go into a panic. And of course a truck comes through at the last possible minute and destroys the rest of the car. But if I was Curtis, I would have just fucking left her there. Because honestly, she's annoying as all fucking... Oh, it's so annoying to hear her in this film. I mean, there's a reason why nobody really likes Lisa-centered episodes of The Simpsons. It's because she's one of the most annoying characters on the goddamn show. She has her moments, but most I would say a majority of the people out there, they're, they're, maybe I'm totally wrong, okay? 
But a lot of people don't necessarily like Lisa Simpson very much. Uh, and I'm definitely one of those included. I think she has her moments, and there are good episodes that she's in. But when she's the focus of an episode, I tend to kind of skip over it. Because she's going to be some self-righteous, at least what she's turning to, some type of self-righteous, you know, eco-warrior type of person. And she's just fucking annoying. And it's the same thing here. Here's this character that, you know, she doesn't really do anything, doesn't help to anything. All she does is scream and yell and berate her poor little Curtis and yell at him because he's not getting her out fast enough. Then when somebody's helping her, she's like, oh, don't cut me. What are you using here? What's going on? It's really just fucking annoying. Just let the fuck run trucking thing run over her. Ugh. Uh, so upsetting when I, when I have to think about <laughs> just this character. So they do manage to get away. The truck is following. Then what does Hendershot have? He somehow has a fucking rocket launcher and blows up the first car. Well, he doesn't blow up the first truck. He just stops it, right? He blows up the first part of the Mack truck. And then when a second truck comes after them, he fires another rocket and does manage to completely blow it up and sending rolls of toilet paper everywhere. Now, why is that rocket so good that it can blow up one truck entirely, but the other one, it's so bad that all it can do is stop the truck from functioning anymore, which is still good, but why does it completely blow up one but not the other? I don't know, and and even Bill has to wonder, where the hell did you get it? Where'd you get all that stuff? Oh, we got a whole bunch Shut of stuff up, down here. Joey. Found it in my Christmas stocking, Bubba. <laughs> So they all go back inside and they be, you know, it slowly turns into night and they all uh, are kind of wondering what they should be doing. And the power does get cut off at one point during the night and it doesn't really say who cuts it off, but it's believed that it is the, uh, whoever's controlling the trucks or the trucks themselves that have the magic power to cut off the power to the whole facility or it could have been something from far away who knew what happened but my imagination at least the way that the story is kind of going i believe it's the trucks that have the power to do that and to block them from what what's going on Uh, of course brett and bill they have a kind of a little bit of a tender moment together when she asks him first uh how are the lovebirds doing how are the lovebirds heart rate is slowing down a little i think that's good Mother's helper. A girl hitching her way down to Florida needs some protection. <laughs> yeah? That's what you're doing? Yeah. That's what I was doing before every machine in the world went into maximum overdrive. stick a person with a straight razor. It's more like... (laughs) And I wouldn't. Oh, I can tell that there's a love connection that's going to happen here somehow relatively quick within this film. Also, 
She said the name of the movie. She gave you her explanation of why this is called Maximum Overdrive because all the trucks and all the machines are going into Maximum Overdrive and it still doesn't make any fucking sense. Okay? Nothing makes sense. I mean, basically the way I feel a lot of this are like little vignettes of a fucking film or a story. And there is a big cohesive thing, but they still haven't really explained other than, oh, some type of radiation. And in the beginning, we learn there's a comet and the comet might have something to do with it. Or I hopefully at some point we'll actually learn what happened and what's controlling these creatures or these machines, I should say. But I don't think that you're going to like very much what the actual answer to everything is. So, they're trying to figure out what the hell is going on and where all this firepower actually is uh, when they get up in the next day. And uh, Bill, he walks in on Joey taking a shit and asks him exactly where did Hendershot get all that firepower. Now, mind you, you have to remember, he's taking a shit. And Stephen King also wants you to know, hey, he's taking a shit. Joey? Yeah. Bill here. Tell me, man. Does he really got a lot of firepower down the cellar? Well, you heard him tell me to shut up, didn't you? Oh, come on, Joey. This is serious. He's got a lot. Grenades? Well... Well, what else? Flamethrowers? Rifles? What? You're going to get us in an awful lot of trouble, man. In case you didn't realize it, buddy. We already in trouble. Okay, so I've got a couple of things here that I want to talk about. Uh, one, the guy that's taking a shit acts better than the girl, Brett, uh, when she was supposedly crying in that last scene that I played for you. Even though she's really upset, there are no tears that are coming out of her eyes, period. Like, not even putting, like, water. You want to make something feel realistic, Mr. King, at least put something on her face. She goes down, puts her head in her hands, and then can come up with water or something. But it's so just fucking generic that it's it just looks really bad. And she just can't do it because she, she can do kind of like the smart alky type of chick but it just looks like she's completely faking it, and that was just the best take that he had for the whole fucking scene. And meanwhile, you have the guy here that's playing Joey, and, you know, you got shit sounds. You got literally shit hitting water. Here's the fart, here's the... And here's the... Going on. And he's acting his ass off on the toilet, acting like, uh, you know, again, a slack-jawed yokel, as well, like he's taking a shit. It's amazing. He has more emotion in this one scene than she did in the whole scene where she's crying about, I don't know what's going to go on. And then Emilio is like, oh, my, my, put my hand over you. And then, of course, you know, he does. And that's starting a relationship between the two of them. Blah, 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 blah. Also, can I talk about Emilio again for a second? I know I was going to talk about it earlier, and I was thinking about maybe saving it for the end, but I want to talk about it right now, because he really has two different types of acting, and like I said, this isn't Mighty Ducks Emilio, this is shitty, 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 shitty Emilio. He talks in one fucking tone the entire, oh, well, if, uh, 
you know, we don't do this and we don't do something about the trucks. We're not going to know what's going on. Or, you know, I shouldn't say one. He talks in the, the other one's, oh, what do you mean, you fat fuck? This is what we're going to Like, it's either he's really loud or he's really fucking quiet. But most of the time, he talks like he's half Sling Blade, half Emilio Estevez, you know? At any point, I figure he'd go, mm-hmm, we're going to go get into some bitch over there, mm-hmm. Like, honestly, it's just so terrible. <laughs> But it's fantastic at the same time because it's so much fun to watch. Oh my god, that the everything keeps is I'm totally torn between so many parts of this film. So he figures out, Bill does, from Joey, that there is a ton of firepower downstairs. And so he goes down and gets it, uh, and Hendershot comes in and tries to confront him. Of course, he pulls a gun on him, one of the many guns that are hanging on the walls, and says, get the fuck out of here, we're taking over this whole thing, this operation. And then he begins to tell uh, Brett here his backstory. I would got some money. I was about 20 at the time. Not real bright about most things. Hey, it's alright. No, it's not. You know what gets to me is the stupidity. Cops put that spotlight on me and I just froze like a rabbit. Hey. Hey. It's all right. Because you know what? That makes you more of a bad boy and I like bad boys. As you can tell because I keep that straight razor with me. Because, you know, bad boys, they fuck with me. I cut their fucking throats, motherfucker. Oh, wait. That could be a whole different movie. Uh, But definitely, she seems like she's getting a lot more turned on by the fact that she's learning that he's a criminal. Uh, Even though it doesn't really upset her that much and it upsets him a little bit more. So, we go back outside and the last member of the crew has arrived. Yes, uh, the boy that's been running away from lawnmowers and... Whatever else has been out there, he has now arrived and is trying to find a way into the building because, of course, like I said before, that's where his father works. So he's trying to get back to dad, which is, you know, not too bad. Then we cut back over to the wherever the storeroom is with all the guns, and we see that, of course, Brett and Billy, they got busy. And... They're looking out, uh, kind of cut around to different areas of the diner and see different things, and cut back to them, and they're eating a cupcake, I guess, and he begins to start talking about an idea that he has of how they can escape all of the machines. Can you sail? A little. Hobby cats and things like that. Mm, good deal. You know, I used to crew the big ones. Sailboats, no motors. No motor? Uh Uh-uh. Where would we go? I'm thinking about this place called Haven. Now, it's an island about uh, about six miles off the coast. And there aren't any motor vehicles allowed on the place. None whatsoever. None? Uh Uh-uh. You know, you are not only a hero, you are a genius. Now, can I say here, with this bit of info, there's something that pisses me off at the end of the film, okay? Uh, And I won't go into it right now because I don't want to talk about the ending just yet. 
But the other thing is, why is the ocean always the fucking answer? Whenever there's some type of, like, global phenomenon, whether it's zombies or killer trucks or aliens or whomever it is, something to do with the ocean and or water is always the fucking solution. Let's just get off the mainland because, you know, they can't swim. They can't get over. Uh, There's absolutely no motor vehicles on there. But you know what? Bullshit. Cars aren't fucking affected, people. Cars are not affected, so why should they really care whether or not there's anything? You just say, no trucks are allowed over there. But remember, too, there's electric fucking things. If they have anything that uses electricity, it could turn on them, too. You never fucking know. But, of course, getting off the mainland and just going to an island is the fucking answer for everything in this film. Now we get to, after this little heart-wrenching and loving scene and, and wonderful idea of how they're going to escape everything we get to see wanda at her fucking best this is the the cream of the crop of overacting i cannot sell it to you hard enough you are just gonna have to listen when she freaks out and she realizes hey you know what you can't do this to us because why well wanda tell us why they can't now look, honey, you're gone and hurt yourself. Now come on, sweet thing. Don't you sweet thing me! I wanted you, baby. Just don't. They can't. We made them. You can! We made you! That is just the perfect blend of really shitty acting, really shitty overacting, and you have to watch the scene because just the way that she is flailing out there is fucking hilarious and like absolutely perfect for this type of film. And honestly, like, how many times did he basically have to tell her to do those types of things? Like, oh, maybe it took like five times right and the first time she did it and she was like we made you we made you can't do this and he's like uh it doesn't feel real enough for me we're gonna try something different okay uh how about you uh flail your arms a little bit while you say we made you we made you and then oh okay that's still that's good but that's not as realistic as i want this to be you gotta you know what we're gonna do act like you're drunk like you've been drinking nothing but a bunch of shitty coronas for a while and you know it takes like 17 of those to even get you a slight buzz so you've been drinking like 25 coronas and now you've got finally got a drunk going and you finally realize okay okay i think i can do this we made you! We made you! Oh, you forgot to flail the arms. You gotta flail the arm. Okay, this is the last take. We're just gonna take whatever we've got because we've gotta move on. We gotta keep, you know, pressing this through. Alright, alright. We made you! We made you! Perfect. Print it. Let's go to the next scene. It's just. <laughs> it's so fantastic. I, I mean, you don't know. This is what I live for. These are the type of movies that I live to watch, love to watch, and live to watch. Uh, when it comes to doing stuff for this podcast. So, so of course, uh, 
you know, it makes me wonder, too, why don't the trucks... Because the truck starts running at her after when Billy grabs her and pulls her away. And it makes me wonder, why don't the trucks just fucking knock the whole place down? Uh, and this is when they turn out the lights on the whole complex as well. So, not only do these people have to uh, live in the dark without anything, now they got to live with a threat of what's going on on the outside. We see everybody, they're all gathered together inside of the diner part of everything... And it looks like uh, Curtis is over there fingering Lisa, uh, whatever Yardley Smith's character's name is. Uh, And that's when we get this revelation when it focuses back on Bill and Brett. Looks like they're running dry. I think they're pushing them in the back. Maybe tomorrow it'll be our world again. that's when all of a sudden they start hearing screams coming from outside and when you hear the screams it's actually the bible guy he happens to still be alive so they begin to devise a plan of how they're going to go over there and rescue him and of course curtis he's the one that wants to actually go in there and do it but nobody else really wants to and of course also uh lisa here she doesn't want him to go out there because she doesn't want to be a widow a shower drain runs Runs into the ditch where that guy is. Will we fit? One way to find out. You boys are crazy. Curtis! Curtis! What are you doing? I'll be right back. You ain't going. There's a man laying hurt out there, honey. There's gonna be a man laying hurt in here if you don't quit this foolishness. If it was your man out there, you'd want someone to go, wouldn't you? Well, it ain't. You're not going. I'm going. Don't make me a widow on my wedding day, Curtis. Okay. So I guess at this point, the more that I think about it, see, the problem I had with it is we really don't know how many days have passed, but for this specific incident, this is the same day, right? Because they say that uh, don't make me, she says don't make me a widow on my wedding day, and they were just married that day, I guess, and then when they were driving. See, originally when I was thinking about it, I was thinking about, hey, you know, I think a day or two has passed, but the more that I've kind of gone through it, no, no, this was still the same day from when we first met them in the film to this point. And their plan to go into the sewers is actually not a bad plan, and I don't see why they can't just try to sneak everybody out that way, but I guess maybe they think they're a little bit distracted by the big giant monster trucks that might run them down if they try to go and rescue somebody, or try to escape the whole facility. You also have that the line that I think that's probably one of the best lines in this movie and it makes the most sense, especially in a time of crisis like this movie is, uh, is when she says, Brett says to Lisa here, you know, if that was your man, you'd want him to get help too. And she's like, but it's not, which is true. Uh, But Curtis, he's very altruistic and he's got to be the one that, you know, almost a cap to save a hoe, uh, but for the poor Bible thumper that's out there. So they manage to get over to the sewer. Uh, Bill, he takes one of the rocket launcher or, or the rocket launcher along with him just in case they need to use it. Meanwhile, at the same time, uh, the the kid of the guy that had the gas in his eyes, he's managed to take the grate off one of the sewers and start walking or, or crawling his way through the sewers towards the building to maybe reconnect with his dad. When he finally gets out of his part of the sewers, uh, he sees that the Bible Thumper is there. Uh, and he looks like to be dead. But as he starts to walk away, we actually get the one scary part of the whole goddamn movie. 
Like, there is a jump scare here that actually is done relatively well. See, he's not really dead. You can see it coming from a mile away, mind you. But when he does it, it's pretty good. Uh, and I would say that if you were watching it in a theater, I'm pretty sure that you'd be scared of this moment. But of course, he wants uh, this poor kid to help him because he st- is, well, still alive. Help me! Help! Help me! I can't. You're too heavy. Get me out of this ditch. Or bite Jesus off. Kill you. That's not very Christian of you. Don't try to kill somebody because they can't help you. And he actually dies at that moment in the film. Back with uh, Curtis and uh, Bill over here. They're walking through the sewers. They're making shit jokes uh, before they finally get out of the sewers. And they run into the kid. Uh, they bring him back because they find that, oh, Bible Thumper guy or Bible Salesman guy is dead. And when they get out, the kid asks, how's my father doing? And he doesn't really respond to him. He doesn't know exactly how to tell him, hey, guess what? Your dad's dead. And when they get back over to the building, he asks again, how's my father doing? And Henderson, well, he tells him the truth. <laughs> you ain't going to be satisfied. You get him right in here with us, are you, Bubba? Mr. Hendershaw, did you see how you nailed that big Bill, you okay? Yeah. How'd you find the kid? Bill, where's my dad? Well, Dunn got scrubbed by one of them big boys out there. Tough break, kid. You unbelievable shithead. Now, I should say, as they were running back, they did shoot one of the rockets at another one of the trucks and managed to disable it, but it looked like it was a truck carrying fuel. And why the truck carrying the fucking toilet paper can blow up to all fucking hell, why is it that the the truck that was carrying the fuel and gets hit by the rocket doesn't fucking explode into a giant fucking fireball? I don't get it. Like... You do not have the but. This is what you had the budget for. Was flying toilet paper, not flying explosives. Uh, anyway, so of course, you know everybody looks down at Hendershot because he could have delivered that better, other than saying your dad got scrubbed by one of those trucks. Uh, and we then fade out for the night, and then the next morning we see that the kid he's kind of gotten over the fact that his dad's dead because he's sitting there blowing bubbles. We also now have the arrival of two brand new vehicles, a bulldozer. And a military vehicle, the one that I talked about earlier, uh, that has a turret that's mounted on it. Now, how the turret can actually do what it's going to do in a second, I still don't understand it. uh, Because why wouldn't it just... uh, I'll get into it in a second. Um, Hendershot doesn't like what's going on, so he takes the rocket launcher and he fires it at the bulldozer. Because the bulldozer tries to go inside the building. Uh, This causes the turret, then, to shoot the fuck out of Hendershot, and he finally gets his just desserts. Now, what I'm a little bit upset about is the fact that the gun is actually being used as a fucking gun, right? It's being used to shoot up the goddamn place and shoot up the, the Hendershot guy. Is it because it's connected to the car that he has the ability, that, or the truck, I should say, has the ability to use the gun? Or is it the fact that it's a gun, and it's a machine, and that's how it can be used? So if if it's the latter, why can't any of the fucking guns that are in the basement turn on anybody else that's there and just start fucking blowing everybody up and killing them all? 
it makes no sense. It absolutely makes no sense. And it's just another one of those, okay, well, this is kind of a cool idea, so let's go ahead and do this. We're going to use a gun mounted on top of a truck that's going to start blowing people away. Okay. Mm. We'll go with it, I guess. Uh, Let's just continue moving on. Of course, this is also the point where poor Wanda, she dies. Wanda, no! Wanda, no! God damn it, let go of me! And poor Wanda is shot to death. And then more bullets rain inside the, you know, the the diner. Well, prior to this, actually, that's when most of the bullets came through. And it killed a bunch of the other side characters off. Some of the comic relief, some of the other people that you really don't know who the fuck they are. But some of them still managed to survive. And Wanda was one of them. And she took the rocket launcher out there with her. And when she gets killed, it somehow goes off. And when it goes off... It hits the goddamn beer truck and blows the beer truck to smithereens. So it can blow up beer, but it can't fucking blow up fuel that's out there? Well, I wouldn't necessarily call it beer because it was a Miller truck and that's not really beer, right? So it blew up a water truck, alright? So it fucking, you can explode water, but it can't explode fucking fuel. I don't understand that. And of course it becomes useless. And that's also when, after everybody's basically, everything's been shot up and most of the people are dead, then the military vehicle starts to communicate with them in Morse code. Now what is it doing? It's Morse. Oh, shit. No, really. I should know. I got a merit badge in it this spring. What's it saying, kid? Give me a pen. I can't keep up with it. Incredible. They want us to feed them. Feed them? Fuck them. Let them starve. Half of them's out of gas already. <laughs> Let them starve. Won't take long. They also have to admit that they're out of power, so there's no way they could turn on the pumps. And then the power magically comes back on. Uh, There's a really shitty and stupid joke about them possibly having an American Express card so they can pay for the... It's really dumb. I I was going to play it, but it's just dumb. Uh, And so Bill decides that he's going to go into the back and he's going to start turning on all the pumps. Uh, this kind of upsets Brett a little bit, and she wonders why, why would you turn on the pumps, Bill? Wait. You can't do this. It's not a good idea. It's like Neville Chamberlain giving in to the Nazis. Oh my God, Tracy. Come here. Okay. Okay, now you see that one? All right? Yes, I do. Okay, now look. Here's the way I figure it. The big guys, they're heavyweights, okay? Uh-huh. They crash in here. They're going to break through the floor and end up in the cellar. But that one. That bastard, ain't no reason why he couldn't call in a truck full of napalm and hose this place down. Just take care of yourself, okay? What are you gonna do, huh? Run me down? Shit, that'd be like a junkie trying to run down his connection. I wonder if somebody that's directing and writing this movie has some type of connection to that line. Um, yeah. <laughs> but but honestly, it, it does make kind of sense. Kind of. Not totally, because... 
you know, they could have bulldozed the whole place down just a second ago with the bulldozer, and they could have run through, and especially in a little bit when you know what's going to happen, it really doesn't make any sense why they just haven't tried to use the trucks to get their way the entire fucking time. Uh, instead, they're relying now on guns, uh, because none of those trucks actually have guns to do the dirty work, uh, that they cannot do. Now, I guess if they're heavy enough and they're just gonna plow in and they're gonna destroy themselves, why go in there and try to commit suicide when you could just have somebody else go in there and blow up the whole fucking place with, like they said, oh, they could use napalm, meaning that he could somehow call a drone strike from somewhere. Because we did see a plane earlier in the film and see it, like, flying around, even though who knows what's gonna happen to it, because eventually it's gonna run out of fuel and it's just gonna crash into the earth, right? So, what if we can't get the planes fueled by anybody? How are you going to bring the napalm in? Uh, so, from here, Bill, he decides that he's going to go outside, and he's going to confront the leader, which is the Green Goblin guy, and you get a really interesting conversation. All right, you bastard. Tell all your friends the main line's open. I got the best shit on the East Coast, practically uncut. get that fuck face so now we get to have the most scary and absolute terrifying part of this whole film a fueling montage and this goes on for way too fucking long it's just car or well truck after truck after truck and then just show them fueling it to the point that they just get really tired you know he, he gets really worn out because oh my god i've been standing out there just holding that fuel pump yeah he even has like blisters on his hands from doing all the fueling of all these cars and it literally is too long of a scene you could have done a couple shots but this feels like it's filler now you may have cut something out in the beginning mr king but why would you leave this type of bullshit in it and just let another scene extend itself a little longer just a couple of shots oh fueling one day fade to another day fade and you don't really know how long it's going on though at the end of the movie it seems like it's only been like two or three days uh spoiler alert um so of course emilio he gets really tired he gets replaced and then he sits there and again he has another meaningful conversation with brett about oh, i'll let him explain it imagine you're a, you're a race of aliens right and you're looking for a new place to live so you're looking for a planet like you and I, you know, like like we'd look for a new place to live, a new house or something. So here's Earth. Well, it's like this big old house. And it's kind of polluted. Dirty and smoky. Grease on the walls. Soot in the chimney. And they send in their interstellar house cleaners. Send in their broom. Sweep us all up. That's what it is, broom. Using our own machines. Sweep us right off. Please, please don't tell me what I think is actually going to happen with this film and who are going to be responsible. Oh, boy. So, 
they devise a plan again to get the hell out of there. And they manage to, you know, blow up the gun-toting truck and make a run for it through the sewers to get the fuck out of there. Uh, Of course, we get to have another fucking annoying Lisa scene where we see one of the guys shake his head and they're they're able to get out of the truck stock and start running away. Uh, Then we get another... Well, I think this is kind of a funny scene in general, but it's one of those, like, growth type of scenes for the character. You see the boy, uh, they've all gone to, like, a fast food place, and as they're trying to figure out what to do, the drive through comes alive. How far, Bill? To the marina. We're close. And after he shoots up the fast food like uh ordering thing, he basically says, I don't want this gun no more. Seriously? You kill one robot that's not even the one that ran over your dad. He's still over there and he's probably chasing after you right now. But you... (laughs) Then you don't want the gun anymore. Like, are you kidding me? Wouldn't you want it for protection? You just don't want it... You got whatever you needed out of your system by shooting something up? Okay, I, I can give you that. But still, like, just tell him, hold on to it. You may need to help us. And then the ice cream truck all of a sudden shows back up. That's right. The mighty tasty machine shows and starts coming after them. And I thought about it for a little while and I was like, why would they use the guns? Why would they necessarily take them? Wouldn't they just want to keep running away? Are the guns even any good against the trucks? And of course, Curtis manages to blow up the whole fucking ice cream truck with just using the AK that he's got on him. Okay, ice cream truck down. So humans too? Four, five, maybe five, uh, sentient machines like seven, okay, or more because they've killed a ton of people inside the entire t- fucking town and surrounding areas. So they finally make it over to the docks, and when they make it over to the docks, guess who shows up? Why, the Green Goblin truck has found them. And now you're thinking, okay, something big is going to happen, all right, maybe there's something good they're going to do with that truck. Well, one of the guys, he sees that somebody's got a big ass fucking rock on her finger right and because he used to be an ex-con of course he's going to go over there and he's going to try to steal it and when he does and he's looking at it that's when the green goblin plows his ass over and kills him now he's revving up he's getting ready to come in and bill jumps off the boat he takes the rock launcher and bam destroys it in one fucking one hit are you fucking kidding me are you fucking serious with this You have this big thing, he's like the leader of everybody, he's the big green goblin, and he just takes one fucking rocket, and he's down, and we see him blow up, and they fucking start sailing off, asking the questions of... You think we're gonna be alright? Geek, I know everything's gonna be alright. And that's not even the last lines of the movie. You know what we get to have for the last lines of the movie before we get the credits and we get to hear some uh, shook me all night long? Why, we get to hear fucking Lisa complaining once again and then we end the fucking movie. 
that was Maximum Overdrive. And honestly, there's a couple things at the ending. You know, what we get to see during the credits uh, is another one of those, like, title cards. And this one explains kind of what exactly happened. Not necessarily what happened, but who was responsible for it. And so... Here we go. It says, two days after, a large UFO was destroyed in space by a Russian quote-unquote weather satellite, which happens to be equipped with a laser and a Class 4 nuclear missile. Uh, Approximately six days later, the Earth passed beyond the tail of Rhea M, exactly as predicted. The survivors of the Dixie Boy are still survivors. Okay, so in the beginning of the film, we were told that it was going to take... I believe a total of eight days for it to pass. So this took place over just two fucking days. That's the first thing that's a revelation, okay? That the first day was the day that Lisa and Curtis got married. I know her name is Corrine or some shit like that, but it's Lisa fucking Simpson, okay? Uh, So that was the first day. And then the second day was them fueling up all day. So it looked like that spanned more time than just a fucking day. Okay, it looked like it was over maybe a couple days. But that was just one more day. So from them to get them to the boat and they got out, then six days. So that's when it passed through. Everything was fucking fine. I understand there were hours and minutes and whatever the fuck you want to talk about with the beginning of the movie. And that's how, oh, that's how we can do you know, differentiate the time shit. Fuck that. You know, there are just days that need to, there's more than that should have passed than what he said actually passed within the text. And you have that stupid fucking text that, Oh, there's a Russian weather satellite that took down a UFO. So it was fucking aliens within the fucking comet. Is that what you're telling me? So what fucking bill said over there, his motivational speech was really about the aliens that were controlling the machines. I and just and then why did we have to end with the Lisa Simpson shit? Why do we have to hear her complain one more fucking time? It's not fucking funny. It's not fucking realistic. Uh, so there are a lot of things to get upset about with this movie, but I have to say it is a fun fucking movie because it's so ridiculous. The best thing that you could do with this movie, honestly, is take out the yearly smith and her husband curtis just take them out completely because they really don't need to be into it and maybe it was just there for some type of comic relief or something or an altruistic hero but you could have used somebody else that was within the diner and you would have been fine there were a couple other people that died and there's some that survived that you didn't really get to know you know you could use them instead and uh, I think that you would be at a much better film in general because you don't need those filler pieces and you don't need the annoying character that Yearly Smith uh, portrays in this film. Otherwise, this is a fun time. It is ridiculous. It is entertaining. It has, you know, uh, just stupid plot points, stupid characters. Uh, you know, weak effects and some things, but some of the other stuff, you know, it looks decent. Some of the gore is okay. I like the look of the guy's forehead when he had the indentation of the soda can on it. But again, it's like there you see things within it that they look one way, but then when you get the way that it's acted or that it's presented to you with dialogue or music or scenery, whatever he's doing, it feels completely different. 
and it's just that's the strengths of him as a director and i mean he even was like this is just popcorn stupidity and it's great popcorn stupidity right it's just a movie you could sit you could watch you know eat a box of popcorn and fucking watch and have some fun that's that's all this movie really is so when I get down to the final ratings for this film, the gore, it's a 2 out of 5. It's not very gory. It's got some decent effects, like I said. But in general, it's not a gory film. The fun factor, it's a 5 out of 5 because it's so fucking ridiculous that it is so entertaining. And I really wish, not to say I want more backstory, but I don't need the alien bullshit or whatever is going on this comet thing. You could have done something different. The comet, okay, maybe just to get the whole thing that the radiation is what's affecting everything and giving these machines sentient life. But the ending where the Russians blew up something in outer space, a UFO, whatever the fuck's going on with that. And then everything came back, hunky-dory. And then the last part, of course, the crap factor of the movie, it's a 5 out of 5 because of Yearly Smith, because of some of the set choices, because of the way that... Things get ADR that don't match up what's going on actually in the scene. Uh, And just the edits. The edits are so horrible, but it adds to the charm of the fucking film. And I think as a recommendation, everybody should see this movie. You really should have seen it before you listen to this whole podcast. Uh, And I'd love to hear your thoughts on Maximum Overdrive. And I'd love to have you tweet at me or send me a message, Facebook, Instagram, whatever you want. Uh, But overall, uh, this is getting the highest rating, of course. It is a 5 out of 5 screaming Lisa Simpsons. Uh, It is worth your watch. You really should uh, give, give it some time. It is old. I mean, old 1987 is not that old. And it definitely has a little bit of that wear on it. But if you like horrible horror, you're going to love this movie. And it's one of only two films that have gotten a 5 out of 5 from this podcast. So, with that being said, let's go ahead and talk. Well, not necessarily talk. How about we have the guys from Troma tell us about what movie we're going to be looking at next. Meet little Melvin. He's a 90-pound weakling. Everyone hated Melvin. Yeah, I'm going to take this mop and shove it down your throat. They teased him. I want to do it with you. Okay. They taunted him. They tormented him until he had a horrifying accident and fell into a vat of nuclear waste. Transforming little Melvin into a hideously deformed creature of superhuman size and strength. Melvin became the Toxic Avenger. The first superhero born out of nuclear waste. Yes, the muggers and the rapists didn't know what law and order was until the Toxic Avenger came to town. Holy shit! I don't know what it was, but it saved my life. All right, everybody, drop your tacos or I'll blow your brains out. The vandals and the perverts had their way with the little people of Tromaville until the Toxic Avenger ripped them apart. The Toxic Avenger. His face is so terrifying. We can't show it to you now. You'll have to see the movie for yourself. 
The Toxic Avenger can bend steel with his bare hands. Oh, we're all again. Get it? Leap small cars in a single bound. He crushes drug pushers. Smashes hit-and-run drivers. And gives all criminals their just desserts. The Toxic Avenger. It was a hero. He's a hero. He's a fighter. He's a lover. Well, Norman, you're beautiful. The good citizens love him. The fat and corrupt hate him. Kill that bastard for me. Gotta kill him. Yeah? Will he survive? For incredible, explosive action, you must see the Toxic Avenger. He's a different kind of hero. The Toxic Avenger is coming to your town. Look out. That's right, we're going to do the cult classic from Troma, The Toxic Avenger. Now, this again is another one of the films from my childhood, and uh, just kind of going through things and uh, coming off of Stephen King, I think that this is going to be, uh, well, it feels like the right boat to go into, at least for the next film, while I try to figure out the rest of the films that we're going to be doing in the next couple months. Uh, so... This uh, will be the very next episode. Uh, it is available right now on Amazon Prime if you have it for free. Uh, so if you do have Prime, you can watch The Toxic Avenger right away. It is available for rent on YouTube as well as iTunes. Uh, and I'm pretty sure if you know how to find it, you know how to watch it, you're going to watch it. Uh, it is, again, it is a childhood favorite of mine. And uh, I just really wanted to talk about it, kind of going you know, away from Stephen King to something and going back into the trauma. Well, I love trauma films, uh, just because of how independent that they are. And this is, uh, definitely what really kind of brought me into really like that. I think I even talked way back on the poultry guys episode that I wanted to do the toxic Avenger one day. And you know what? This is the right time to go ahead and do it. So we're going to go ahead and talk about it. Uh, as for the podcast, you can always follow us on Twitter. It's uh, T underscore T underscore podcast. Uh, and, of course, on Facebook, facebook.com slash the Terrible Terror Podcast. Instagram, Terrible Terror Podcast dot com. Uh, and then the last thing that I want to talk about is uh, there is a Kickstarter on Twitter that I wanted to talk to you guys about. Uh, and it's for a practical effects movie called The Conduit. Uh, now you can go on to Kickstarter and you can uh, search for the conduit and the full title of the the, the uh, Kickstarter is the Conduit Short Film 2.0 Special uh, Practical Special Effects Movie. Um, 
And I'll read you a little bit about uh, what they're they're talking about with this. It says, One thing stands between a man and a good night's sleep, monsters from another dimension, and they really want to help produce this retro-style uh, sci-fi movie. Right now, they're about halfway there. Uh, with They've got about 77 backers. It's got about 30 days to go as of the date of this podcast has been released. Uh, but we'd love to see these guys actually get a full... Um, you know, backing to finish the the special effects for this movie. And practical effects are probably some of the best uh, things that you can see nowadays. And it would be really cool to see this short film come to life. So normally I don't, you know, do those type of things. But I think that uh, these guys uh, have a a good thing going here. And uh, it would be well, you know, worth your time if you want to try to either back them or check it out. They have a little video you can watch. Uh, so you can see what they're trying to do. And uh, that's it. Other than me saying, don't forget to please, if you like the podcast and you're listening on your favorite listening device, whether it is an Android app, it's an Apple device, uh, it's a desktop, you're going through Spreaker, you're going through iTunes, Google Play, uh, please give me some reviews. Uh, it, I don't, like I said, I'd love to have nothing but five-star reviews. You can say five stars and you can say whatever the fuck you want in the damn thing. Uh, but I'd really like to just have some type of reviews because it allows other people to see the podcast out there. Uh, iTunes probably helps the best, but Google Play, if they have that ability right now, at least when I first signed up, they didn't. Uh, but if they have it, go ahead and give us a rating, either just a thumbs up too. Give us a like on the Spreaker page. Just hit that stupid little heart uh, for the podcast if you're a Spreaker member, uh, just to let me know that, hey, I am appreciating what you're doing. Uh, you know, it's something that we... Well, that I do for fun, uh, but I like that people enjoy this as well. And I see you listeners out there, and I'm always available. You know, you can send me movie ideas. Uh, you know, we've had a lot come through. Um, we, you know, you can send them to terrible terror podcast at gmail.com. You know, of course, hit it up on the Twitter, hit it up on the Facebook, hit it over there in the uh, you know, the fun filled Instagrams. You can even DM me there too. You can DM me people fucking everywhere nowadays. But let me know what you'd like to see. If you like way things are going, what should change? What should be, uh, you know, what should I focus on? And honestly, the the biggest request, if you guys have listened all this way to the end, I want the listeners out there to help me come up with two movies that are not horror movies. And when I say horror, they could be within, I, I'd say the horror genre, but I'm looking for like a sci-fi movie, a comedy Anything. I want to do two films later on this year that have no relation to anything. Kind of like what I did with the Godzilla, where it is a horror. I have one idea, and I know somebody that's listening right now, uh, he has an idea what that movie is. Uh, But I'd like to do something like that. So if you guys have any ideas of a good sci-fi movie that maybe is more of a thriller, or just a thriller in general that you think is terrible, and I'm not talking about that Lindsay Lohan piece of shit because I will not watch that movie, but something like that that you would think would be fun, or a classic horror movie that you may be interested in hearing me give my review style to. Uh, I mean, anything from, you know, going back and looking at Dracula to Creature from the Black Lagoon to uh, White Zombie. Anything would be good. And you can always hit me up and email me uh, and let me know. So thank you guys for listening, and I will talk to you next time. Don't forget, watch The Toxic Avenger before the next episode. Bye-bye. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. 
At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.